This is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. With me today is a guest we had uh, just, oh, I think maybe a couple of months ago, the news director here at WFHB, Cade Young. Cade, hi. Thanks for being on Big Talk this week. Thanks for having me here again, Mike. I really appreciate it. We would like to start making this more of a regular or semi-regular meeting. So, uh, folks, uh, keep on listening here to WFHB and to Big Talk, and we'll talk about the news and the news around the world, around the country, around the state, and just around here in Bloomington. Uh, News has been uh, falling out of the trees, for gosh sakes. Indeed, Mike. Cade, tell me a little bit about Daily Local News, because Daily Local News is the lead in to this program on Thursday evenings, daily local news at five o'clock. We come on at five 30. Tell me a little bit about that operation. Yeah. So the daily local news or the WFHB local news is essentially a four day a week program, 30 minutes, totally volunteer powered. It's local, it's independent. So obviously there's no corporate ties or anything like that with a a small band of volunteers. And why that's important, Mike, is in today's day and age with news consumption, there are too many news sources that are bought out by big corporations like Gannett or, you know, what have you. So there's not a lot of local independently sourced uh, news coverage today. And so we're really proud to be a part of that solution, to have you know, no corporate ties to, you know, have that editorial independence without any conflicts of interest. But, you know, basically it's a small team of volunteer reporters, citizen journalists, if you will, that are- I love that term. I love that term, Cade. Right. It definitely lowers the barrier of entry to like what a journalist is and what better way to get honest and truthful coverage than uh, a concerned resident. Right. So we're made up of uh, concerned residents, as I mentioned, IU students. Well, not just IU students, IU, Ivy Tech, uh, just students in general, people that uh, want to get involved with volunteer opportunities through the Bloomington Volunteer Network, passionate people. And the first thing that we ask volunteer journalists when they join our little team is like, what are you most passionate about? What sets you on fire? What inspires you to get up in the morning? And whatever that is usually if they're um, you know studying environmental affairs uh, and it's environmental issues, we're like this is what we want you to cover because we really want people that are passionate that really care. Um, and, and what's cool about that is at the end of the day, we're able to compete with real full paid newsrooms across the state because in a newsroom where you're getting a salary, you know it's a job, right? But when it comes to volunteers, they're doing this for the passion for the fact that they're super interested in this subject. So you get very meaningful uh, truth to power stories from just regular folks who care. Um, So it it really is amazing. And it's been an amazing journey. I mean, I've been doing it for, uh, this is year three. So I've been doing it two whole years. I'm on the third year and it's just been an incredible experience on my life. And I hope these volunteers as well. 
How do we make sure that good journalism is being done? That's where the editing process comes in. You know, we make sure we review all of the stories, reading them out loud, especially for radio, is a huge thing for grammar mistakes or, or that sort of thing. Also, fact-checking. So anytime there's statistics, uh, we just double-check and corroborate, like any other newsroom, getting, you know, the truth out there. How about training? So the training process, it depends on the volunteer. So some volunteers have uh, some journalism experience. So if there's a journalism student that's interested in volunteering, they kind of understand the SPJ code of ethics. They understand uh, basic journalistic integrity, right? So, and we just reinforce that. Um, but for some folks, they don't have any journalism background at all. And we don't require that for you to get involved with WFHB. Um, so we do just kind of provide that training ground. We go over the Society of Professional Journalists code of ethics, hold those in power accountable, tell the truth, be honest, be transparent with your sources, that sort of thing. So we walk through regular folks who might not have any uh, news writing background. We kind of walk them through a journalism 101, so to speak. Our goal is to really lower that barrier of entry on what it means to be a journalist. Because that term it, that can imply stuffy or, or whatever, um, that, that here's the journalist and here's the rest of society um, on two different planes. Yeah. And our goal is to kind of bring that into one, that, uh, you know, be the, the voice of the people, so to speak. Um, and, and journalism used to be that kind of profession was more of like a blue collar trade, if you will. Like people that were journalists back in the day cared about people's issues. And slowly over time, as it became more and more corporate, it seems that uh, the journalism field today, especially on the macro level, you think New York Times, that sort of thing, um, you get a lot of Ivy League journalists. Right. And there's this elitist model that's kind of out there. And there's a lot of cozying up to uh, people in power, you know, being able to have lunch with Hillary Clinton or, or whatever. <laughs> And, and that seems to be the, the cachet that draws people towards journalism. And we really want to push back against that idea and bring journalism back to the issues of the people. You know, Cade, uh, I've done a lot of reading about the history of newspapers and reporters in the 20th century. And one thing I found out is that uh, before about, mm, I'm going to say maybe the 1960s, that there was no such thing as journalism school. You didn't go to school to learn to be a reporter. You were hired because you were curious. You knew how to write and you wouldn't take no for an answer. It was almost like an apprenticeship where the reporter learned how to do the job by doing the job on his own. And it was always his back then, by and large. Uh, thank goodness it's not anymore. And the greatest journalists of the 20th century came out of that system. So it's the same type of deal. Right. That's a very similar kind of model. But also, um, you, you talk about gender uh, disparity back in the day. Yeah. Uh, journalism. And I've, I'm finding that today's folks who are in journalism school or at, media, at the media school, it's predominantly women. That's good to see. If you want to get to the truth, of something, you got to have a more diverse coalition of journalists. That was a, a, a big struggle in the 20th century. But to your point, um, 
that that's sort of what we're doing here. We're kind of like you learn by doing, you know, we get a reporter that wants to get involved. How they learn is by covering a story, doing interviews, cutting up those interviews, pulling sound bites, thinking of story structure, you know, getting all the facts right. And we just kind of go through it step by step and work on their first story. And what better way to learn the craft by doing the craft? And then when there's missing information, missing information that should have been pursued, you're able then to say, go get that piece of information. Right, right. Because a first draft is very rarely going to air. Um, a lot of times, you know, somebody submits a first draft and they are, they're doing it how they think they should do it. That's kind of what we encourage. And then we go through and say, this is what we're missing. Uh, go back and talk to your source. Ask them about this, this and this. And, and bring out more out of that part or, or what have you. So it's definitely sort of an apprenticeship situation where you learn by doing. Well, the big world news uh, has imposed itself upon Bloomington in the last couple of weeks. I went back uh, through the daily local news podcasts, which you can listen to folks, everybody out there, just go to WFHB website and uh, pull down whichever newscast you want to hear. If you want to hear big talk, you can do that too. And maybe one or two other shows, huh, Cade? Absolutely. We have 13 news and public affairs shows, big talk, daily local news, and plenty others. And all of them are available as podcasts on the WFHB website. As I was saying, the world news came to Bloomington here. There was a big rally at Indiana University in support of Ukraine. And that was covered by, and I'm going to ask you to pronounce this person's name, if you'd be so kind. Shade Ajishigiri. Aha. What, what can you tell us about Shade? So Shade is a journalism student at IU, Indiana University. Um, she's been doing some field reporting for us. So she started out, she did a Black History Month event. She, she covered that at the Monroe County Library. And so that was her kind of first experience in getting involved with WFHB. And then she did a few more field reporting exercises. Then this Ukraine story hit here locally with the protests, she offered to go there, talk to protesters, capture as much audio from that protest as possible. So she actually went to two. There have been several protests and visuals in support of Ukraine. One story I wanted to mention in the in that in her coverage, she spoke with a woman named Tatiana Ford, right? This Tatiana Ford is a native Ukrainian whose mother and niece have been hiding in a bomb shelter for you know, they were hiding in a bomb shelter for over seven days. Her hometown of Mykolaiv has been destroyed in the bombings. And um, we're talking about a Bloomington resident here. So this is somebody from Bloomington has got ties to Ukraine. You can't imagine the ripple effects that Russia's invasion of Ukraine has caused all over the world. That's the shocking thing, because it, it only just happened within the last few weeks. Uh -huh. And already here in Bloomington, we're seeing refugees who have come from the Ukraine. I was in a store the other day and the person came in and said, I want to buy this thing for a young kid. He's a refugee from Ukraine. They're living here in Bloomington now. 
And he implied that these aren't the only ones who are here. Yeah. And then when she's talking to these folks at the protest, to your point, I mean, you could just hear in this woman's voice, this Tatiana Ford's voice, you could hear the terror and the uncertainty about what's going to happen. Another thing I'll say about the protests, you see a divide about what the West should do, how the West should be involved. Uh, Several different protests have had uh, different takes on how the U.S. or the Western uh, power should get involved, you know, whether or not sanctions are enough. So there have been some factions that are saying sanctions are are good and that um, we shouldn't escalate the issue further. And then you have other factions that think the West should get involved more. So where that answer is, I don't know, but you definitely notice a, a divide among protesters in that right. Because, um, you know, sanctions, you know, we've, we've imposed sanctions on Russia and it seems to hurt the people, the public the most. Yeah. That's a tricky situation. You know, these people of Russia are powerless too against, uh, you know, a dictator like Vladimir Putin. So what should the West do and how that should be involved? We're kind of seeing that question bubble up on the local level at these protests. What is that right answer? I don't know, but we're definitely seeing that, that question present itself here locally. Going from mega news down to more let's call it personal or local news. Uh, Last week, Devta Kidd, the city's director of innovation, uh, talked about Bloomington's pilot LEAF program. 22 families are involved in that program, and it has to do with cleaning up the leaves in front of your house and in the curb. Who was reporting on that one? Noelle Herhusky Schneider who's our assistant news director, she has covered that story. And she's been doing a wonderful job covering all of the government meetings that happen on a local level. And it's kind of amazing how much local government meetings, local government meeting coverage um, we have. I mean, everything that that happens in the the public sphere gets reported in a two, three minute write-up on the local news. So yeah, that was Noelle. So 22 families were involved in this pilot program. Devta Kid says the program seems to be successful. And the goal now is to expand that program, I suppose, potentially, to cover everybody in the city. And the idea being they want to get people to compost their leaves, to use them as mulch, to lessen the use of the city's street vacuumers. There's actually street vacuumers who take care of these leaves. So let's see how that plays out. And I'm sure, Cade, you're going to have reporters on it. Absolutely. Yeah, Noel will be on it. More city council coverage. Also, last week, uh, the IU vice provost of communications, Kirk White, told the Monroe County Board of Health that the students at IU no longer will be forced to wear masks. Oh, yeah. I knew you were going to ask about this. That That's huge. I mean, I read an opinion piece in the Indiana Daily Student that I thought thought was really interesting. It was just published, uh, I believe, two, two or three days ago, and it was titled The Mask Mandate Was Lifted at a Weird Time, <laughs> which, yeah, to their point, you know, students are about to go on spring break and it's just seemed it seems like weird timing. And the, the county mask mandate has been lifted as well. Yep. March 4th, March 4th. 
So, you know, with spring break, there's going to be increased traveling. Also, you know, county numbers in terms of cases and hospitalizations. I don't know if you remember, Mike, but just a few weeks ago, we were at all time highs. Right. I notice there's definitely some both Democrats and Republicans, some lingo to the point of let's move beyond COVID. And you're seeing even Democrats do that now. And I think it's very political and viruses don't think in terms of politics. (laughs) People are, no matter if you're a Democrat or Republican, if you get COVID, you get COVID. I expect numbers to, to climb now that the mask mandate is is out and it's only a matter of time before we get to another peak as we uh, have with Omicron. This despite the fact that Penny Caudill, who's the uh, Monroe County Director of the Health Department, has reported to the county that COVID transmission level in this county has decreased significantly in recent weeks. So there are conflicting numbers but we're continuing to be on it to help people make up their minds about things. Right. And the thing is, though, with those numbers going down, sort of the, you know, Omicron, the variants, the numbers go up and then slowly uh, they go down and we get to a point where, hey, we feel pretty safe. Let's drop the mask mandate. Um, And there's, you know, the way viruses work, there will be another variant and there will be another surge that we're going to experience. So I feel like, you know, we, we dealt with this with Delta um, and then Omicron came and we had this big scare. I feel like it, it may happen again, but you know, who's to say, but it's something to watch. Definitely watch those COVID numbers because um, with the mass mandate not being in effect, we'll have to see what that does to the, to the COVID data. Mayor John Hamilton gave his state of the city speech. He was able to brag about a few things. Uh, one, uh, one of the things he bragged about were economic developments here in Bloomington. Uh, he mentioned the fact that the new IU Health Hospital has opened up. A lot of jobs going on there. It's a bigger operation. He also mentioned that Catalent, the medical products manufacturer, is making a multi-million dollar investment in the city. The old hospital site, redevelopment of the old hospital site. Uh, the mayor said, you know, that site, which will be called Hopewell, will have retail, residential office spaces, that sort of thing. Uh, there's also talk of maybe like outdoor venue, amphitheater, that sort of thing. Another thing he mentioned is that affordable housing units will be a part of this Hopewell project. And now let me just preface all of this by saying, this is very preliminary. There was talk of we're going to designate a certain amount of space for affordable housing, but there was no fine numbers or anything like that. Not to my knowledge, at least. It Uh, all sounds like a wish list to me, Cade. Yeah, very much so. I mean, this is early on in the game. In general, Bloomington residents have called for for more affordable housing. And we're talking about Bloomington, Indiana, a city where our poverty rate is about 35%. Compared to the national average, that's the national average is 11%. That's a real problem. The city had a, uh, a 2021 community survey. I don't remember if you remember that. And in it, like the third least liked thing about Bloomington was uh, the lack of affordable housing. Yeah, 
we need more affordable housing. So uh, again, still preliminary stages of redevelopment. Um, but I will say for the listeners that are really into this issue, there the Bloomington Redevelopment Commission is going to discuss this even more um, at their next meeting, which I believe is at the end of March, March 21st. Uh, definitely more information will be shared on the local news when that time comes around. We'll be on it. I remember not terribly long ago when people used to say, you don't want to spend more than a quarter of your income on your your home, your rent or your mortgage. Now, the average is uh, approaching and even surpassing one third of people's monthly income. It's getting more and more expensive to live anywhere, but as we know, here in Bloomington as well. Yeah, that is so true. Um, So I reported on this state of the city address and I was just looking at some numbers. U.S. Census Bureau data, and the median gross rent of the city of Bloomington is about $917 per month. The annual per capita income is about $24,000 per year. That doesn't really track. That's high rents, higher than an average national rent, and with, with uh, wages being relatively low, partially because there's a lot of students in Bloomington. Affordable housing is is huge. And I think in Bloomington, of course, but this is a problem that's kind of uh, across the U.S. and probably the world, the lack of affordable housing. But it's definitely something that this mayor has received some criticism on and some backlash. So it's interesting to see where that will play out, how that will play out. Uh, mayor Hamilton made mention of the fact that uh... In all but two of the sections that were earmarked for annexation, the remonstrance process nixed the idea. And does that put an end to the story, Cade? Right. So really quickly, I wanted to answer this, Mike, okay? Um, But this is a little aside because I'm trying to wrap my mind around this because I was reading about annexation all day. Mike, a county auditor, last time we spoke, we were talking about a county auditor counting up the ballots and it was going to be presented in sometime late February, early March. So a county auditor has tallied up these remonstration petitions. So basically, for those who don't know what a remonstration petition is, folks from the county who essentially rejected to join the Bloomington city limits. The results showed that five of the seven districts have enough votes to successfully remonstrate. So that means the city's annexation of those areas are stopped for now. For Um, now. For now. And that's an important qualifier. Here's the thing. The city will challenge these efforts. The consensus on annexation is that it's going to be a never-ending court battle. So the city is going to challenge the annexation or the uh, remonstration, and you're going to have more time in the courts. The HT ran a story today kind of capturing county residents take on this right and you saw some divides some people were thrilled like hey we have this grassroots movement and we successfully remonstrated against the city and uh, a big chunk of uh, other folks in the county were like well yeah okay but they expressed agitation of yet another legal battle and that seems the, the story of annexation, going back to 2017, uh, just battle in the courts. So it's not over yet. All of those folks who organized at the Monroe County Residence uh, against annexation 
are are excited or thrilled that you know they were able to successfully remonstrate but it's not the end of the story and uh i'm sure their celebration lasts a little bit but you know they they have a hard long fight to go and it's gonna be a lot of money to be able to fight these lawsuits so, yeah. now speaking of the county at the uh, february meeting of the county commissioners uh the facilities manager for the counties says he's pretty sure that the county's early voting sites will be ready by the time early voting starts. And let me give you some dates over here. Early voting uh, for the May 3rd primary, early voting will begin Tuesday, April 5th. So those things, less than a month away, those things darn well better be ready, Cade. Yeah, that's been a, a big issue with the Monroe County um, Election Board trying to decide early voting sites. Right now, though, as I understand it, they're really prepping that 302 South Walnut building for early voting. But yeah, I mean, that's got to be ready uh, before before that date. So those early voters out there listening, April 5th is your date. But May 3rd is the, the primary date. The general election is November 8th. And... Continue to listen to WFHB News to learn about the candidates. We interview the candidates. We tell you who's on the ballot. Uh, WFHB News is indispensable in my view. And I'm not just bragging because I'm part of the operation, Cade. Uh, When I heard about it, when I moved to this town in 2009, I said, I got to get in on that. I know. Well, I felt that way too. And this is a little bit of an aside, this little tangent here. But when I was in college studying journalism, uh, we, we talked a lot about the problem of journalism today, the problem of news being that these big corporations are gobbling up these local independent sources. And I was always like, well, the answer to the solution is nonprofit, you know, not like not for profit news. That's that's what we have. We have to rethink the business model of big media today. And I, this is before I even knew what WFHB was. You know, as I was looking around to get involved in more like extracurriculars and uh, volunteer work, I came across WFHB and I was like, wow, they're doing just that. They're being the solution to the problem of our news landscape today. So we just have to give a shout out to WFHB for you know, sticking to our guns for being local, independent, grassroots, bottom-up way of, of getting information. Citizen journalists. Uh, Cade Young is the news director for WFHB. Uh, Cade, I think this is good stuff. Would you join us again uh, in a few weeks to talk about more local news? Mike, I would be delighted to. Okay, we're going to do that. We're going to make this as regular as we possibly can to go over the local news with Cade Young, news director. Cade, thanks for being on Big Talk. Thanks for having me, Mike. I appreciate it, man.